What's up guys? Just a quick update on how you can find World of Wally. Uh, we are on pretty much every listening platform that you get your podcast at. If you can't find us, please drop us a message and we'll work diligently to try to get on that platform so you'll have the opportunity to hear us. Also, you can find us on Facebook, also at World of Wally. Uh, on the Facebook page, you will be able to catch up on previous episodes and also updates and storylines and pretty much anything else that uh, we have going on here at World of Wally. So, uh, like I said, guys, that's where you can check us out. And now, let's get back to the episode. What's up, guys? This is William with World of Wally. This is the uh, rebroadcast of a previous episode. It is one of three episodes that is a fan's choice for uh, Best of Season 1. And I hope you guys enjoy it. It is actually a rebroadcast of Hazy Shade of Life uh, featuring Miss Shauna Bouffinet and her testimony about her overcoming her uh, addictions to drugs. Thank y'all and enjoy. What's up, guys? Glad to have y'all back today for today's podcast. This is William here at World of Wally. Today's topic we're going to tackle is a topic that affects not just big cities, but also affects small towns. Uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, substance abuse. We're going to be talking about issues, you know, alcoholism, drug use, opioid use, and the kind of the epidemic that each of those have become. Uh, of course, you hear about opioid abuse in the, in the news constantly these days. Uh, you know, substance abuse is something that's been around for quite a while. Um, we're going to talk about it today. You know, substance abuse, it affects um, all types of people. It affects individuals. It affects their families. It affects the communities for which they live in. There's always costs associated with it. Uh, you know, not just financial costs, but there's also, you know, the cost of loss because some lose their lives by using it. Uh, some lose family members and connections with other family because of it. Some of the measurable ways that, um, you know, substance abuse affects each and everybody it includes a uh, lost productivity and unemployed um, the ability to be employed um, impairment of both not only their physical but their mental health also uh, reduced quality of life uh, you continue to take these drugs you know it, it will eventually destroy you there's an increased crime factor uh, when there's a, a big drug issue in the area uh, increased violence Abuse and neglect of children is always uh, present when there's a, uh, a drug issue in an area. There's a dependence on uh, non-familiar support systems for survival. Now, um, I'm going to get into this topic a little, little more in depth in the next uh, segment uh, when I talk about what I think is one of the largest problems with actual drug abuse today and it goes back forever but especially um you know to in today's society and that's those uh the support group around them those that are commonly referred to as enablers those that enable a drug addict to continue to be a drug addict some know that they're doing it some really don't realize it at all so that's i'll get into that in the next segment a little bit more in detail uh, we got, like I said, you have physical and mental health issues. 
there's also social consequences of uh, alcohol and other drug use. Um, you know, women can be seriously affect their lives by using these. Um, it is, um, you know, women become, in most cases, intoxicated and addicted more quickly than men and develop related diseases earlier than men. You know, that's some information that the National Center of Addiction and Substance Abuse released way back in 1996. You also, um, you know, the big, one of the biggest issues is, like I said, when it comes to family, uh, the children are always affected um, directly by this use. Um, you know, they're burdened with the fact of having, to, uh, they have parents or they have grandparents or they have relatives, older, you know, adult relatives that end up addicted and they end up, uh, their life uh, in a way deteriorates and the children are always affected by drastic changes in their life, especially when it's adults around them that are suffering from drug addiction. Uh, that's that's kind of where we're headed today. Uh, I do have a special guest today. Mashana Buffonet will be joining us. She'll be providing her story because she is, and we'll tell you later. She she is an addict. She's she's a recover she's a recovering addict at this point though. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later. An addict is always going to be an addict. Um, she's always she's even going to talk about it later on about how. Even though you're able to move beyond that, there's always those temptations. So I'm excited to have her here today. And uh, like I said, when we come back from break in the next uh, segment, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what I think is the biggest issue with the, with the drug and opioid um, and all the other illegal drugs that, that are used today. The biggest issue I feel that keeps this process ever continuing or, or you know keep it in a perpetual motion type situation that's what i think and then in the final segment we're going to get to hear from her she's going to provide uh, an amazing story about where she was originally you know the her deepest darkest point and how where she's at now so as soon as we get back from the break we'll get into that so hang in there guys we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody. This is William. Uh, as promised, our guest today, Ms. Shauna Buffonet, is with us. Shauna, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. Look, guys, I don't want to take any time away from her. What she's about to tell you is something everybody needs to hear, and I want to give her every precious second that she needs. So I'm going to turn it over to her. She's going to tell you a little bit about herself, and then she's going to tell you her journey, where she was, where she got to, and where she's at now. All right, Shauna, go ahead. My name's Shauna. I'm a grateful believer of Jesus Christ. I struggle with addiction, self-harm, depression, anxiety, amongst a lot of other things. I have three children. I'm married, about to be 32 years old. I attend the church on Maine and celebrate recovery at the church on Maine. I have a testimony that I'm going to share with you guys, so bear with me. I am a disciple, a firm believer and follower of Christ. My name is Shauna. I'm 32 years old. Oops, hold on. How can I restart? Go ahead. <laughs> you can do it. Okay, because I'm not 32 yet. Okay. 
I am 31 years old and I'm in recovery from depression, drug addiction, and self-harm. I would not be standing here today if it weren't for the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. Throughout my life, I have learned and I'm still learning the differences between living for the world and living for God's word. During my life, I have constantly put my faith and trust in the things of this world and every time I was let down. I had a God-sized hole in my life that I needed filled by him, but I continued in my attempts to fill it with everything but him. Living for the world had left me scattered in pieces. I had no solid foundation. I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. Some I was a victim to, and some trauma was self-created due to my poor decision-making. I was looking for love and attention in all the wrong places because I didn't feel there was enough at home. My parents did not build their lives on solid ground either. They too were living for the world. My dad was gone eight to 10 months out the year because of his offshore job. When he came home, it was like Christmas. He would shower with us with gifts, but it didn't take long for his other side to appear. He was physically abusive toward my mother and sometimes even my siblings. I remember being that scared little girl, hearing the screams of my mother begging my dad to please stop, the kids are watching. My mom did her best to hide her injuries, but even as that little girl, I could see the pain in her eyes. She was torn. My mother struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction. I think it was her way of coping with the mental and emotional and physical abuse of my father. The struggles my parents faced and the issues between them deeply affected us all. It didn't affect my schoolwork at first, though. I thrived in school, made straight A's. I was involved in sports and academic programs. Going to school and sleeping out at friends' house were ways for me to get away from the problems at home. One of my friends invited me to church, and after attending a few times, I had this wonderful, unexplainable feeling. I was encouraged and began to believe that life could get better. I said a prayer, walked down an aisle, and believed I had been saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. Eventually, I asked my family to come to church, and they did when my dad was home. I saw changes in my father, and it was inspiring. Critical seeds were planted that would later on save my life. For now, though, with my dad being gone all the time and my mom slipping into depression, loneliness and doubt were creeping into my mind. It didn't take long for me to change the path that I was on. The foundation I was trying to build up was weak and collapsing. At age 13, I gave my virginity away. I began smoking cigarettes, using drugs, and began self-harming. Drugs allowed me to momentarily escape from the reality of how hard life was, and cutting my skin was a way of release. The pain from the cuts, the blood seeping out from my skin, took my mind off the pain I felt in my heart. I hid my cuts and scars the majority of the time. But there were times I did do it for attention. I wanted my parents to notice me. I wanted them to see I was hurting and to do something about it. My cuts at times were a cry out for help, but my parents didn't help me until I got much worse. They were distracted with their own demons. At age 14, I had been raped because of my drug lifestyle. I put myself in a very sticky situation. By age 15, I had been in two psychiatric wards, one adolescent home, a juvenile detention center, one drug rehab. I was kicked out of school for overdosing on school campus. I had slept with over 30 men and seven women. I had overdosed four times in my attempts to end my life because I hated myself, my body. I hated my mind and my heart. 
I was a drug addicted, self-harming, suicidal prostitute. I was worthless, living in and for a world that didn't want me. In the last place I was put in, I did learn a lot to help me understand why I was choosing to live my life this way. They taught me about addiction, I learned some of my triggers, and they told me of all the healthy ways I could begin to cope with my emotions. I read Christian books and listened to sermons that my dad sent me. I wanted change in my life. I really did. I tried putting in the work, but with dad still gone and my mom's addiction must worse now, it made it harder for me to make the lifestyle changes needed. A few months after returning from rehab, I started talking to Jesse, my husband now. His stepmom, Jackie, and my mom were best friends. I had known Jesse since I was a child. I knew Jackie even longer. She was the second mother to me. Well, I had gave Jesse the rundown about who I was and all I had done so that he could be fairly warned that I was damaged goods and that I had severe mental health problems. He accepted me, baggage and all. By 2008, I was 20 years old and we were engaged with three kids, Christian, Ariana, and Logan. Those five years were rough, especially for Jesse and the kids. I was still stuck in addiction. I was still cutting my body. I was drowning in depression, so all that landed me back in Pine Grove, two times after purposely overdosing because I was so mentally unstable. I was a sorry excuse for a mother. I was unfaithful to Jesse with his brother, his cousin, and with my ex. I couldn't forgive myself for my past. I couldn't forgive others for what they did to me. And I was angry with myself for all the pain I was putting my family through. I was sick. I needed healing. And I knew who could heal me but I would not surrender. I kept trying to fill my hole with worldly things. This hole would never get smaller, only bigger. My life was torn, my family broken. My behaviors were destroying us, but the drugs and cutting were the only things that would temporarily numb my suffering, but it only magnified my families. That instant gratification was my escape from the reality of who I was. It was my way to feel some relief. On October 24, 2010, me and my three children were on our way to the Friendship Park. I allowed Logan, who was only two years old, to sit in the third row of our van to be next to his brother and sister. Ariana was the only child in the car seat. As I was driving down 13, I got an eerie feeling and pulled over. I put Logan in his car seat in our second row of seating. Christian scooted over to be next to his sissy. He put on the seat belt, which had only been a lap belt. I did not have him in a booster seat, which I know now that was too small. Two minutes or so after being back on the road, Christian said, I'm going to just lay down, Mom. I was frustrated with things going on in my mind, and out of anger, my last words to my son were, you better have your effing seatbelt on. A few seconds later, a van pulled out in front of us, trying to make it into their driveway. I slammed on my brakes, but couldn't stop in time. We crashed, my van spun around, my kids were screaming and crying. Well, I thought all three of them were. Christian was not. I got out and slid open the door to find Christian slouched over, eyes closed, unresponsive, bleeding from his mouth and nose. My car was smoking. I was scared it would catch on fire, so I started unbuckling the kids and handing them off to people who had come to help. Logan and Ariana were scared, but they were unharmed. I began to unbuckle Christian. I knew I shouldn't move him, but I was scared the car was going to catch on fire. As I was moving him, I could tell he was more hurt than I expected. His body would not allow me to hold him in my arms like I've done so many times before. His legs didn't want to pull up and hang over my arms, and I didn't want to force them to. 
He was barely breathing and all I could do was scream. A lady ran up to me and said his lungs were filling with blood. He was suffocating. She said she was sorry but could not perform CPR. So she began to pray out loud for him. He stopped breathing in my arms. I begged an officer to please help him. The ambulance had arrived and as soon as he was taken from my arms, I collapsed. The helicopter landed at the bingo hall and Christian was moved into it. My mom, brother, and sister-in-law arrived, loaded up the car seats in Logan and Ariana. They headed to Forest General. Jesse pulled up and we headed there too. Everyone did their best to save his life, but he was just too hurt. Christian died from cardiac arrest. His internal organs had been severely damaged. He had a lot of internal bleeding and a spinal cord injury due to the force of the lap belt that he was wearing. He did not open his eyes or utter a word, not even a moan or groan of pain following that car accident. That big old hole I had all my life had become a million times wider and deeper. Some days I believed God wouldn't have taken him if it wasn't his time. Other days I believed he took him because I wasn't a good mother and God knew I would never amount to anything. Some days I blamed the lady who accidentally caused the wreck. Other days I blamed myself. Why did I not have him in the correct car seat? I battled with a lot of if-onlys and what-ifs. Out of all the issues in my life since age 13, I wondered how in the world could I have spent so much time crying over my past, crying over my ex. I thought about all the times I tried killing myself because life was so hard. I was devastated. The pain was so severe. And now, this? Oh no, this was real pain. Nothing from my past could compare to this pain. Being an addict doing things out of character that left me feeling worthless, guilty, and ashamed had nothing on this. Watching my dad beat my mom had nothing on this. My mom overdosing in front of us had nothing on this. Me being raped when I was 14 by a trusted friend had nothing on this. I questioned God. Why take this innocent, loving child who did no wrong? Why not take me, the unstable, drug-addicted mom who was always trying to die? My life was in turmoil. I was in shambles. No solid foundation. But there were seeds planted a long time ago and along the way to this time and place in my life that kept leading me back to him. I would cry out to God, needing his help and his comfort, but then I would get angry, impatient, and I would self-destruct. We had received a large amount of money due to the wrongful death suit settlement. We helped a lot of family members, paid off a few things, and then I decided to leave Jesse for my ex and smoke the rest up. A few months later, my ex cheated on me, and being together wasn't what we thought it would be, so we split, and I returned home to Jesse. He kept taking me back no matter how many times I broke his heart. He kept trying to rescue me in the hopes that I would change. He knew my heart and he knew God, so giving up on me was not an option. One day I was trying to get my fix and only crack was to be found. I was addicted after the first hit. I went on week-long binges, constantly putting my kids, myself, and others on the road in danger. I would take my kids on drug runs in the middle of the night all I cared about was getting high. I started pawning things in the home, lying to Jesse about how much I was spending at stores on groceries so that I could get cash back. I would threaten to kill myself and prostitute if Jesse wouldn't give me the money. I lied and manipulated the people I loved most to get my fix. Jesse would often talk about taking the kids from me or calling the law, so I promised to quit. 
but I knew I was lying, and I knew my kids were better off without me. I was so addicted, so numb, I had to fake smiles and laughs because I had no emotions while high. I had to act like I was happy when the kids got off the bus or made good grades. I didn't even feel love. My kids would hug me. I felt nothing. Jesse would kiss me. I felt nothing. When they were crying and breaking in front of me while high, I felt nothing. I couldn't feel their pain. Not until I was coming down and the drugs were leaving my system. Then I felt everything times ten. The drugs helped me to numb the bad things like fear, grief, and anger, but they also numbed the good emotions like love, joy, and compassion. Every time I would come down off of the drugs, I felt the weight of everything I was trying to avoid. I could see and feel the pain in my family's eyes. I would feel the heartache of never being able to watch Christian grow up and graduate or get married. I would feel immense shame and guilt for being me. I was in agony. So I did whatever it took to get high to make it all go away. Even if it meant lying to Jesse and saying I needed $800 in two days or my dealer would kill me. I had become dead on the inside. Everyone was suffering around me. My dealer even told me to check into a rehab. That's how bad it was. I knew God could save me from myself in this demon of addiction. But I was just so angry with him. I'd listen to my Christian music and the words would break through crushing me. I knew I needed help, but how could I ask him again after all I've done and become? How could he forgive me? How could he still love me? Although I had all these questions, deep down I already knew the answers. God was waiting for me. Then one day, I was on a drug run listening to a song I've heard many times before, but this time was different. I sang this song for the first time with passion and purpose and spirit and truth. I knew he could give me rest. I had made it to the end of myself. I needed his help to get out of this pit that I had dug for myself. I couldn't get out without him. I felt like death had been knocking on my door, and now at this very moment I had hope in my heart. I told Jesse I was ready to give it up this time. I told him I needed God in a rehabilitation center. I wanted to recover. I wanted my family to recover. A day or two later, I hugged the necks of my family and told my children I was going away to a place that would teach me how to be a good mommy. I walked into A Forever Recovery on November 13, 2013. I surrendered and began to trying to build my foundation up on God's word. I started the grieving and healing process. For the first time in a long time, I had to go through emotions sober. I had to face them all head on, but this time I was leaning on God and not the worldly things. He was always with me my entire life, but this time was the first time I believed that he was fighting for me. I could smile and laugh again. It didn't have to be faked. Everything was beautiful. It was like I was seeing for the first time. I was drawing near to him and he was drawing near to me. I attended church faith-based groups and Christian counseling while I was there, and my passion for singing came rushing back. I stayed in rehab three months. I was involved in cognitive behavioral therapy, anger management, moral recognition therapy, church, Bible studies, and much more. I was chosen to be a peer council member. I was given opportunities to sing and share my testimony and facilitate Bible studies. God was showing me that with him I could do all things. I was the head and not the tail. 
trigger started immediately the day of my graduation from a forever recovery program my family came I was so happy to see them I had missed Thanksgiving Christmas and New Year's with them it was an absolute joy but my mom came high she kept falling asleep during the program it was crushing me but I did my best not to let it show I prayed for strength and courage I was about to receive my diploma and sing for the first time in front of over 100 people. It was a surprise for my family. They had no clue. But my mom kept falling asleep. After the graduation was over, I was scared to leave. My emotions were all over the place. I knew my mom had her medication. I made it clear that I couldn't be around drugs or anyone on them. I had to stay away from people, places, and things in order to recover. On the way home from Michigan, we learned that Jesse's stepmom, Jackie, was sick and in the hospital. We tried to get home in time, but she passed away minutes before we arrived. We were shattered. This woman who raised Jesse as her own into this wonderful man, who taught him how to love without condition. This woman who held us in her arms as we cried, grieving for our child. This amazing, strong, compassionate, wise woman who was always in physical pain due to her rheumatoid arthritis but never showed it. This woman who believed in us and encouraged us had just died. I kept telling myself God was in control. She's not suffering anymore. She's with her grandman Christian in heaven now. I told myself and others I would not use. I could get through this. I had coping skills. I had God. Two weeks later, I relapsed. The three months of foundation I was building, the enemy kept trying to knock down. He knew I would be a threat to the kingdom of hell if I kept rising, building on God's word. I thought I was strong enough to go around someone I loved who was using that I wanted to help. And after about two hours of watching this person get high and offer it to me, I gave in. I got high. And after coming down and beating myself up, I pleaded with God to forgive me. I was reminded I am the head and not the tail. So I got back on track right away. I began my aftercare process of going to NA groups. I went to celebrate recovery at TCOM, started going to church there. I began meeting wonderful people who made me feel loved and accepted. In this church and in these groups, watching how God was moving in their lives, it inspired me. God was using them, showing me that I could be used too. Things were great while I was involved with people and things building me up, but when I was idle, I was struggling. I had a lot of triggers and I was mourning the death of a loved one. I had to stay away from almost all my family and Jesse's family because the majority of them were users. I had to set strict boundaries, but they saw those as ways for me to control them. Our families made it really hard. They didn't understand that boundaries are healthy and needed to produce a better life. Life was becoming more difficult because my next door neighbor was an addict. Her sister was very sick and she was struggling too. She was sick and on meds for her illness and for her anxiety. And the mixtures of these medicines and the amount she was taking caused her to be high. She was always coming over high. She kept breaking our boundaries, but what more could I do? This neighbor was a close family member who was broken due to the circumstances. I wanted to help her, but I needed to protect myself. I couldn't keep being around her. It made it too hard. She was constantly falling down and slurring her words. It was affecting me. There was a part of me that hated to see her this way, but that other part of me was wanting to feel just like her, numb and unaware of what was happening around her. 
It was a daily struggle for me to stay clean. And then my neighbor's sister passed away. She was so broken. Jesse had helped her to make the arrangements, and we had to break another one of our boundaries in order to have the family come up to be with her during this difficult time and to come to the services. She lived on our property, and two of our boundaries were not to have drugs on the property, and we didn't want anyone high on the property out of protection for myself and family. Family members knew this. We made it clear, and Jesse and I had consequences if our boundaries were broken, but I did not follow the plan. I kept telling Jessie, you need to keep her away from me. Seeing her high was making me want to use. She would not stay home. When my sister-in-law had come up, we decided to get our nails done. Before leaving the driveway, she handed me a Xanax and said, don't tell my brother. I was shocked. As I held it in my hand, I mentioned to her, if I take anything, it's a relapse for me. I'm trying to stay clean from everything. She apologized and tried to take it back, and I should have gotten out of the car and told Jesse right away I did not I did not I said hold on let me think about it I put it in my console we left and went to do our nails for the next hour and a half I was back and forth Jesse and I had a plan if something like this would happen we would make whomever leave our property I thought about all the drama that would come if I told I thought about all God was doing in me I thought about how far I've come I thought about my last relapse. I prayed and was going to tell Jesse when we made it home. We got home and I walked in and seen my neighbor sitting at my computer table, high as a kite. I didn't even make it all the way in the door. I turned myself around, went to the car, opened the door and the console and popped it in my mouth. I had suffered long enough with these triggers. I begged Jesse to keep her away from me. I told these people to leave their drugs at home. Prescription or not, if you take meds and take more than prescribed or share or sell your prescriptions, it's drug abuse. If you have to take a pain pill in order to have energy to clean your house or take care of your kids, you have a problem. I know this because that was me at one time. When I was going through my pill addiction, as long as I had an upper for the day to clean and tend to my kids and had a few downers at night to chill out, I thought it was okay. At least I wasn't on crack. I took that pill and I relapsed. It was my own fault. I could have said no. I could have stuck to the plan, but I didn't. Those people affected me, but they didn't force me to take anything. That pill hit and it didn't matter to me that she was high anymore because now I was high too. I was nowhere near on her level, but I just felt calm, relaxed. It felt so good that I asked for more. My stress melted away. I was no longer overwhelmed by triggers and temptations, and I slept like a baby. That next morning were the services. I woke up feeling like a failure. I was so angry for relapsing that evening, so I drank some alcohol and lied to Jesse, saying I relapsed on alcohol because I was too afraid to tell him the truth. He had to go back offshore the next day, and I decided since I've already relapsed, I might as well relapse on my drug of choice. Me and his sister went on a two-week over $6,000 crack binge that caused me to hit absolute rock bottom. This binge wound up being the worst I've ever experienced. Two weeks, hardly no sleep, no food, and only small amounts of water that I had to force down. I did things I thought I would have never gone back to. I did things I would have never done sober. I left my children with people I did not know for about an hour. They could have been molested, raped, even killed because of me. 
My brother came got the kids from me after being told that I was bad off again. I prostituted my body to six different men during this relapse for this drug. Me and Jesse's sister were kidnapped, carjacked, beaten by one of these men. She was able to escape when we were parked and ran to a nearby home. The owner called 911. When I had my chance, I jumped out and ran too. He caught me and put me in a chokehold until I nearly passed out. He drugged me by my neck back into the car. He sped off and spotted her on the porch. He got out, ran onto this woman's porch, grabbed her by the hair, and pulled her back into the car. He was so angry and told us we were go- he was going to kill us and throw our bodies in the woods. He was high on synthetic marijuana and was tripping out, thinking we had stole from him. Thank God the car ran out of gas. As we began walking, a cop car came around the corner. The guy told us just act cool, say everything's okay, but the cop could tell by our injuries that we were not. This man was taken to jail. He harassed me for months after this. I went home and was coming down, started feeling the weight of all I had done during this binge. I was destroyed. How could I tell Jesse that I slept with six people? How could I face my children with a swollen face after leaving them with strangers? There was no way I could forgive myself this time. I believed that this was proof that would never, I would never be able to stay clean, be a good mother or wife. I felt like God wasted his time on making me. I needed to just die so that everyone could stop getting their hopes up, including me. I wrote a suicide letter, took a bunch of miscellaneous pills out the medicine cabinet, drank a bottle of nicotine e-juice equal in a carton of cigarettes. I laid in my bed, began to pray, asking God to take me for real this time. I was getting really tired. It was getting harder to breathe. It was happening, I thought. I'm really dying. I felt like I was slipping away, but I woke up the next day to my brother banging on my window. I began puking right away. I was so angry to be waking up. There was no way I should have woken up. All the other times I overdosed, I was around people. I would be rushed to the hospital and have my stomach pumped in time. This time I was alone, or so I thought. I took more than enough to kill me, but God had another plan. Proverbs 19.21 reads, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I have been clean ever since that day. I confessed and repented for my sins. I asked forgiveness and God removed my shame and guilt. I returned to church and CR as soon as my face and neck healed up. Everything I had learned at rehab, I began applying. One of the most important things I had learned at AFR was that you're only as sick as your secrets. As long as I had any secrets, chances were I would fall back. I kept no secrets. I had confessed all I had to Jesse and to others. I was reading a lot, trying to get my life in the correct order so that relapse would not happen again. I met a very special woman named Lacey Cahannon, and God put it on her heart to disciple and mentor me. He knew I needed her. A wise, disciplined, faithful, humble, obedient, patient, and compassionate woman of God. We met a few times a week. She spoke life into me constantly. We did Bible studies, and she helped me understand what we were watching and how to apply it in my life. She held me accountable. She helped me to step out of my comfort zone. I could call her when tempted to use or cut, and she would pray over me and give me scriptures and biblical advice to help me. He used her and so many others in AFR and the groups that I had attended 
and the church on Maine to help me build my life up the right way. God has made all things in me and my family's lives work together for our good and his glory. Nothing was wasted. Psalm 42 reads, He lifted me out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. For so many years I couldn't stay put, always losing my footing, always sinking. It wasn't until I gave up my life to him that I was able to find it. Today, because of him, my foundation is more steady. I don't fall completely apart when circumstances blow my way. My roots are in richer soil. I do still struggle. I still make mistakes. I still need a lot of growing and spiritual maturing, but I am no longer that drug-addicted, self-harming, suicidal prostitute. I've been blood-bought and blood-washed by Jesus Christ. I'm no longer a vessel of wrath for the enemy. I'm an instrument used by God and for God. I am his vessel, his servant, his witness. I can testify that he is all that he says he is. He transforms hearts, he renews minds, he saves souls. He's given me the desire to help others. And I've been able to share him and his word with them all. If you are in a pit today, rest assured God can still use you and do great things in you and through you. If your life is scattered, I urge you to humble yourself before the Lord. Cast your cares upon him. Be cautious of the enemy and resist the temptations. Remember 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself complete and make you what you ought to be. Establish and ground you securely and strengthen and settle you. Today, I have over five and a half years clean. It's sobriety by the grace of God, and he deserves all the glory. Those powerful, powerful words, and that's why I didn't want to get a question and answer type format with Shauna. I've heard Shauna's testimony uh, now for, uh, this is the third time I've actually heard those words, and there's a reason that while she was talking, we made no eye contact because I was fixated the first time I heard it, and like I explained to her as she was uh, standing in front of our congregation actually sharing this, uh, I was wiping tears from my neck because they were, I, they were flowing down my face so fast I couldn't wipe them on my cheek. And I'm amazed. She was talking about how nervous she was before we started and she handled it like a champ. Uh, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna break away for just a quick break and we'll be right back. And uh, I got a few more things that she and I are gonna talk about. And uh, like I said, we'll be back after the break. All right, guys, we're back. Um, I'm going to just a quick question uh, and then uh, just a quick statement that I'm going to make to Shauna. Uh, Shauna, first of all, we're in 2020 now. Where are you, you, your family? Where, where are you guys at right now? Right now, we're going through some difficulties. We're in a season of mourning and it's been rough uh, I recently lost my dad a great friend of the family and our pet and the last six months have been devastating me and my family or trying to pick up the pieces and put everything back together. And during this difficult time, 
my past, I'm being reminded of what I used to do in these situations when I was feeling pain, when I was suffering, when I was hurting. You know, I, I wanted to cut myself, I wanted to use, and there have been a lot of triggers, and there have been a lot of temptations, and <clears throat> I have not put my focus where it needs to be, so I've been struggling more than I, I need to, but I'm getting back to a place to where I know that I have to start from the beginning, I'm not God. And I need to move forward and put my trust in, in Him. And I know that He's healed me from all those things before with my drug addiction and how far far, far gone I was that I know that He's going to use this for our family. He's going to make good come out of some terrible things. See guys, it's she is she is a devout Christian. Her and her family are some of the the finest folks that I've ever had an opportunity to meet. They've had a lot of trials and tribulations. They've all come to find Christ. But guess what, guys? Trials and tribulations come even for Christians also. So just remember, I I can't say anything else that I want to add to this. I just want to let this be here for you guys to listen to. Um, fantastic. Uh, testimony that you provided I do appreciate everything that you were able to do by bringing this message to all of us including myself and um, I, I do want to share one more thing go ahead go I ahead. do believe that all this struggle and all this pain that me and my family are going through right now that I know that God is going to use it for something good I know that he, he he's gonna it's gonna strengthen us if I allow it to things like this can either break you or it can lift you up. It depends on how you go about it. How you know what do you do in the situation? And if I were to use, everything would just go back to how it was. My my kids would be without a mother. My husband would be without a wife. Life would be terrible all the way around. But if I give it to God like I'm supposed to, and I have been holding on to it, trying to do it in my own strength, I know that He can give me peace. He can heal me. You know, I just need to go through the process of mourning and feeling all of my emotions instead of having that thought that if I could just numb it again. Because that's where all the problems came into place was whenever I always tried to push away the pain and try to find something to hide it. And I know that, you know, I have to speak up and speak out about my struggles because if not, and I just sit there and dwell on the pain that I can easily go back to, you know, revert back to the old ways of how I used to deal with it. And those skills, those coping skills were never healthy. It just traumatized me and my family. So I just wanted to say that I do believe that this struggle is going to strengthen our family. And I'm thankful for it. Guys, I can't add anything that would make that any better. That is the perfect final point for this episode. Thank each and every one of you guys for tuning in. Existing listeners, new listeners, all of you guys, I greatly appreciate y'all. And as always, Wally, out. Hey guys, join me, William Wally, every Tuesday and Friday as I share my thoughts and have engaging discussions with various guests, tackling all types of topics from religion, politics, sports, social media, and also current events and everyday observations from my very own life. Just a small town guy 
with some big time opinions. Love me or hate me, but you will want to listen in weekly on the podcast, World of Wally.